0: Well, welcome back, everybody. Doug Flutie here with the Flutie Flakes cast. Um, My guest this week will be James Lofton, Hall of Fame wide receiver, played a lot, Most of his career out in Green Bay, but then had another second career with uh, the Buffalo Bills, mixed of little um, Raiders in the middle there. Went on to coach, uh, coached me out. Actually, he was a wide receiver coach out in San Diego with the Chargers while I was there and now broadcasting doing NFL games. So really excited to talk to James, talk about the passing game in the NFL, some of the quarterbacks and guys he's covering, as well as just, you know, The old days as well. I love talking about the old days. That's me. What can I say? Uh, Everybody, I hope you had a great Christmas uh, or holiday season. I should say, Um, here in Florida, it's a little unique. It's a little different. Uh, The weather was probably in the mid seventies by ten a.m. But early morning, it was a little chilly. It was about sixty degrees, and we were all we do this thing on Christmas Eve called Surfing Santas. Surfing Santas. I promoted a lot last week. Uh, It's it's a charity event. Raises a lot of money towards cancer patients and also locally here for our uh, surf museum Uh, but so we all go up to Cocoa Beach and it started out with nine guys dressed up as Santa going out on their boards and that was maybe 10 years ago Uh, we had at least a thousand Santas in the water and probably 10,000 people on the beach and it was just an amazing atmosphere, so much fun. Of course, the surfing becomes secondary because people are going to just run over each other and kick by boards and all that. But in order to kick off the event, myself and uh, a couple other guys, Dalton Smith, if you, if you get a chance, go on, look at Life of Dalton Smith Instagram. Uh, he's, uh, he's a little surfer dude down here, had a lot of fun, put some great videos up in the day. So Dalton's like, Doug, come on, we're going to do this helicopter jump. I go, what? He goes, we're going to do a helicopter. This is actually two days before they asked me to do this. And I said, uh, no, nah, that's all right. I'm good. Cause my, my thinking is not so much the jump. I have no problem jumping, but I know we got to be out in deeper water and get out there a couple hundred yards at least. My fear is, you know, the landing, where are the sharks? Where are the big sharks? We're out there with the big rides, a couple hundred yards offshore. I don't know that I want to deal with that. And that was my thought process. But then I'm like, the morning of, I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not going to get a chance to do something like stupid like this again. So I'll do it. Let's go. So we're going to get in the, the, the helicopter. We go up to Canaveral, get in the helicopter. Four four men. There, three of us are going to jump. First of all, they start the darn helicopter. And the guy's like, he's got a prime. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking over Dalton like, is this thing or is this for real? Are we really going to do we're going to go up on this thing like uh, my, my 79 Trans Am starts better than this thing. So anyway, we get up, we go out and we get over the water and he starts going up and we go up to about 50. We're, uh, he was up around 100 feet, came down to about 50 for the jump. The thought of sharks never entered my mind. I got over that water and it's like, I got to get I'm up here and everybody's I got to get up the nerve now to jump. The whole shark thing just went out the window with me. And uh, we had a blast. Dalton's uh, a veteran at this type of stuff and taking risks and all. So he jumps. I Well, I jumped second. He had got some good video with the GoPros and the water GoPros and all that. But it was just a, a major adrenaline rush for me. I had a blast. And uh, it was a great charity event on Christmas Eve morning. A little different atmosphere here in Florida for Christmas. Uh, the other... Doug Flutie's selfish project that I'll talk about real quick. Um, Just got the word last night. We haven't finalized the deal, but the Flutie brothers band is going to open for Dwight Yoakam throughout the state of Florida, the end of January. And uh, we're, we're pretty fired up about this. It's like, we're going to be doing real gigs in front of real audiences and having a blast. So, It's kind of fun. It's something my brother and I've done for over 30 years and just having a blast with it. And we've had a chance to open for big time acts before. And it's just uh, the thing I say about playing the I play. I'm a drummer. Well, I I pretend to play the drums. You don't get beat up and you never lose. So it's pretty cool. From that standpoint, let's move on to the NFL weekend and take a look back at, at a couple of little things. First of all, you know, I had a connection with Notre Dame, working with NBC, doing all those games, and I covered Ian Book his entire career, the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. Um, Ian is a smart, sharp guy that, that is, is, makes good decisions with the ball, and he's quick as far as his timing and his anticipation and getting the ball out and making good decisions, all that stuff, and the short passing game especially. And he went into a game – picture this you know your dream is to be an NFL quarterback right to get your first NFL start you're on the practice squad you're really the fourth string quarterback the other guys all get COVID you pretty much have never taken an offensive snap in a practice you run a little bit of scout team maybe once in a while the last time you took a snap in practice was back in training camp you're going into a game where the team had virtual meetings and couldn't practice because every, they had 21 players out. At one point they had 25, but they had 21 players out with COVID this week. And you're going to get your first opportunity to be a starting quarterback on Monday night football. And you really – he went out early on the field in pregame and took some reps with his receivers. And it's really the first time he's got a chance to work with the starting guys and go full speed and throw rounds. Needless to say, it didn't go great. Uh, and he, he throws – actually, he made a really good decision first – Second pass of the game, first, third down play of the game, gets blitzed by Miami. Miami shows you a lot of looks. They do a lot of things, and they came after him. And they blitz him. He reads it. He's going to throw the quick out in the flat. And as he throws the ball, gets tipped at the line of scrimmage, goes behind the receiver, picked off, picked six, second pass of the game. So they end up only scoring three points. But absolutely love Ian Book. I think he is a great type of guy to have as a backup quarterback in the NFL he is going to be one of these guys that is always prepared he's mentally sharp he's going to be on top of things and he's going to help you win when he gets on the field I I think it was really unfair that he had to step in that situation last night with all the the circumstances but um, you know down the road I'd love to see him get a real opportunity to play Uh, it's, it's it's a shame I mean almost half the team is on their COVID list. And that's going throughout the NFL, even though the NFL is 95% vaccinated. Uh, they've got their their issues right now with COVID and it could influence a bunch of stuff going down the wire. And what if any of that happens going into playoffs? What happens if you're going into a playoff game? Super Bowl week, your two starting quarterbacks in Super Bowl week for each team get COVID. What are the, the protocol? I you know I, I just have the feeling if it gets to that situation, there's going to be some Jimmy of the protocol and guys are going to, uh, maybe not quite get tested as often and be a little more careful about because they're going to want to play. Uh, it's just going to be interesting to watch. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the other guy I wanted to talk about, Josh Allen, looked like a world beater again, right? We saw the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills play a game where New England wins a game with three passes up in Buffalo and nasty, nasty weather, cold weather, wind, everything else. This is the Josh Allen we saw the other day. This is the Josh Allen that I think can lead Buffalo to a Super Bowl. This is the Josh Allen that is just really difficult to defend. He was playing with confidence. I think he really must have been uh, motivated this week off of what had happened in the last New England game because he came out sharp from the beginning, uh, making his throws up the field and everything else, but running hard. The game basically came down to a fourth down play where if New England can stop Buffalo. They get one more opportunity to go down the field. And he ran a naked bootleg. It's well defended. He's got a guy on his tail, uh, defensive end, and the corner comes off and it's going to hit him three to five yards in the backfield. He makes a little move, splits the two of them, stays on his feet, goes for about an eight-yard game, and basically ends the football game. He also had two plays where, um, one, a crucial third down conversion, where at a scrambling to his left, he just – backhand shovel pass kind of like a like you're running the option they teach you when you run the option to put the thumb down thumb under and you just kind of flip it backhanded it. he completed two passes in the game one for a touchdown and one for that big third down conversion just shoveling the ball forward and I always said I always did that when I was moving to my left and it was something short because instead of cocking your shoulders and having to rotate back and throwing the ball over him it's a lot quicker if you just snap it off and shovel it forward. And uh, it's just a reaction that happens in the middle of a game in a situation. You see a situation, you react to it, and uh, whatever happens, happens there. But, you know, you're just reacting to the situation in front of you. And I just love the way he played. And that's the job. I don't know what the heck happened through the mid part of this season. Buffalo looked like world beaters through the first half. They struggled a little bit. Josh wasn't playing great. And all of a sudden – this week against New England, they woke back up. And, and that is going to be, it's really interesting to watch. I know how starved the Buffalo fans are for a Super Bowl championship. And I thought last year they might make a run. So I thought for sure this year they'd make a run. And that's the team that looks like they've got an opportunity ahead of them. Uh, the other guy that's got it rolling right now is Patrick Mahomes again. And the, the difference with Mahomes, the, the difference is this. Teams said that they were all worried about him running with a football. So what they always did was play man-to-man coverage and they'd go after him. And he was able to throw one-on-one routes down the field and just pick a matchup and throw the ball and, and make all kinds of big plays up the field. The consensus was, you know what? Let's see if he can put a 15-play drive together. We're going to drop off and play some zone and go two high safeties and see how patient he can be. And he struggled for a number of weeks. Well, he's figured it out. He's back. Uh, he's hitting his checkdowns, getting the ball out quick, all out in the flat and just letting guys get six to eight yards and methodically move the ball down the field and get their completion percentage up and uh, really, really looks like he's back in control of that offense. They've adjusted. He's adjusted. And that's what you go through. You go through these cycles as a quarterback. Teams are going to take away what you do well. And it's how you adjust. That's, why, that's what makes the Tom Brady's of the world so amazing that year after year. And they, you know, Tom doesn't have the legs. Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, doesn't necessarily take off and run, but he moves around a little more than Tom. Uh, but these guys that can do it year in and year out, uh, game after game, uh, it's, it just shows you how diligent they are at working at the things that they're not good at and they get better at. It. So there's no weakness. There's no way that teams can take advantage of what you do. And Mahomes is back. Uh, that, that, that Right now, I would say Kansas City is the team to beat in the AFC coming up we'll be talking with James Lofton but this news came out actually after I spoke to James uh, that uh, of the passing of John Madden an icon in the uh, broadcast world coaching world NFL world in general all of us uh, were touched by him one way or the other Uh, obviously the he will live on through the video games and that everyone loves to play and his name will carry on I had a few interactions with with John Madden as a broadcaster. Uh, I, I grew up watching him as a head coach, as a little kid. He, he was animated on the sideline, fun to watch, a guy that I always think of as a coach and as Coach Madden, uh, but had the opportunity a few times in production meetings to sit down with him and just enjoy being in the room with him. He loved football. His emotion came through in the broadcast. People loved listening to him because he was raw and just you could feel his emotion for the game come out, and he had just a natural way of describing the game. Uh, I, I have gone back and watched at different times some of the old broadcasts that, that he did, and I remember every kind word he ever said about me as a player, and he will be missed. He will be missed by more than just the NFL. His legacy will live on a Hall of Famer, John Madden. <sighs> well i'd like to bring on my guest james lofton hall of fame wide receiver played with what green bay he had a career in green bay and then had another career with the raiders and in buffalo and went on to fourteen thousand yards receiving stupid stuff just ridiculous and then james and i spent some time out in san diego together a wide receivers coach has gone on to get in the broadcast booth covering the nfl now just uh can't stay out of it, huh? You, you love football that much, James?
1: One of the craziest moments in my football career was when you and I went to lunch. We went to pick up sticks. <laughs> I remember it because it's one of those places that I drive by and I see right off the freeway.
2: Mm.
1: And, I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm sitting here with Doug and I'm a coach. How did I become a coach?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a so, yeah. I, I mean, I look at it, I, I kind of kick myself when I realize how long I've been out of the game. Now yeah. I've been out of the game for fifteen years, and I'm like, you "Gotta be kidding me!" This, and and I never went into and I I respect guys that go into coaching because players know the hours coaches keep. Yeah. And I wanted no part of that. I, I would love to coach a little bit here and there and help out and do this and that, but the commitment, talk about the hours and well, NFL coach puts. in. And it,
1: it was funny because when I retired in 93, I got offered a coaching job from Ted Marcher Broda. He was the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And it was funny. Ted was one of the few people who called me Jim. And so I went up there interviewed for the job, and they were offering me the job. And he said, Jim, oh, I, I mean, James, I mean, James, we don't work long hours here. We work Monday through Thursday from 6 to 11. And I'm going, is he talking about AM or PM? Yeah. <laughs> That's not long hours. And he said, he said, but we're home for dinner Friday at 8. And I'm going, what household is that from? <laughs> and, and, and I didn't take the job then because I just retired, kids were little, and, but it ate away at me until 2002, and, and I did get in it. And the thing that I'm really grateful that I got in it is that it gave me a different way to look at the game. Because it's one thing to be a player and think that you know a lot, but it's another thing to coach and have to teach somebody how to do something. And that, that was unique for me because you're looking at it from a different set of eyes.
0: Yeah. I, I still struggle with teaching. I mean, I was just a, like a natural athlete and I did things the way I did them and instinctively. And then to take someone and say, no, you know, get the elbow up, hold the ball here. Yeah. You're opening that left side, the step or what the coaching point I, I fight with. In fact, I, ha- I have to watch coaching reels. or other people coach and pick up little because it, it, it sure. definitely is unique. And, and actually to the extent of like fronts, coverages and everything else.
1: I had a, a coach early on. Cam Cameron was our offensive coordinator. You remember him. Mm-hmm. And he asked me a question early on. He said, how are you going to teach it? And I went, what do you mean? <laughs> because as a player, you just do it. You know, you stand in line. You watch the guy in front of you go, okay, I uh, got that figured out. And visually, you are able to adapt. Now, how can you then articulate those points. And and I thought that was the most fun thing that I've ever done because it's, it's different for each and every athlete at your position because I had Tim Dwight, who was five, nine, and I had Malcolm Floyd, who was six, five. I'm not going to teach them the same way to come off the line that, you know, you would everybody. So you have to vary it a little bit per each individual.
0: Yeah, I, that is, I mean, I, Shoot, I just go down and help out in little league, and I coach little league kids, and and I've I've realized right away I've got to be able to say something specific to help this. You know, I can't just. What do you mean? Just throw the ball to that guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just take it from here and throw it to him. No, you've got it's set, break, release. Don't open up the left side. All these little things. Anyway. Well, I, uh, I think it, I
1: think that you and I are from the same time period where we just played. Because I know I played baseball, I played basketball, and I never had anybody when I was little teach me how to do something. We just picked up the ball, went to the park and did it. And I think now for kids, it it is a little different. I watch my grandson and his dad helps him with drills, but he's also an instinctive athlete to the point where he would pick it up even if you weren't trying to coach him. But a lot of kids aren't like that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I always struggled with drills and things that I, if you don't make me think, do not make me think when I'm on the field. You know, once it comes game time, just give me the ball. Let's go play. Uh, James, you're a guy that loves still staying in shape. I mean, you could run forever. I used to run the hill out back in San Diego and everything else. Um, what are you doing today to keep in shape?
1: Um, about four years ago, Dr. Chow, who was the um, Chargers team doctor, my, my knee was hurting and my hamstring was a little tight. And I had continued to run like master's track and field. So I was trying to sprint. And Tim Brando, who's a broadcaster, calls them the geezer games. But, <laughs> but I went in and I had an MRI done on my knee. And so Dr. Chow calls me up. He says, come on in the office, you know, so we can talk. So he puts the MRI up on its screen so we can take a look at it. He goes, you know, you look young on the outside, but you're old on the inside. He said, if you don't want to have knee replacement surgery, you need to stop running. So I started cycling a little bit. Uh, I was still going to the health club until kind of COVID hit everybody. And then I bought some some dumbbells to put in the garage and I picked those up and I put them down and pick them up and put them down. Do that a couple of times. But I, I do cycle. probably. Move, move them from the corner yeah. to
0: over the other yeah, corner. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so somebody thinks, my wife thinks I've been using them. <laughs>
0: Uh, that's a yeah it's just and I've I've always been a kid so I'm still surfing I'm playing baseball I'm playing some hockey I just and you you and I were joking around beforehand I don't work out I just play nonstop, and that's you know my but but with me also the knee thing is gonna I mean I'm destined for a knee replacement sometime it's just part of the deal if I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing well I, know I, just, I just enjoy
1: being an athlete and and mm-hmm. I still have dreams that I'm <laughs> Playing. And so, but the dreams have a, a kind of a twist to them because all of a sudden they'll go, well, how old are you? You think you're going to score a touchdown, but you're 65 years old. Yeah. Maybe not this yeah. time.
0: I, I, I'm terrible. I still think I, I still think I could go up to CFL and complete some passes and move the ball. But I, I always said this, I have, I have one good half. Yeah. Or one good hit, whatever comes first. <laughs> if if I get hit first. in the first series, yeah. it's over. If I get hit in the second series, it's over. If I make it to halftime and I sit down, it's over. <laughs> um, yeah, but but we do think, you know, mentally we're sharp. We think we can do this. We, we know what to do. Uh, well, you had a chance to cover the Chargers last week and they had a hiccup. What, what's going on out there? I, you're, you're around that a little bit. You're, you're
1: exactly right. They had a hiccup. Um, I don't know if it is the mentality that, they're now playing 17 games over 18 weeks. That, that is making teams go up and down, up and down. You know, you haven't seen anybody who's just like plowing through the opponents. And, and you, you know that they're destined to be in the playoffs. They're destined to be in the AFC or NFC championship game. Um, the Chargers looked like they were coming, but they, they didn't get to play a couple of key players on defense. Derwin James didn't play, and Joey Bosa didn't play. Sure, they have backup guys behind them, but those two players, if you're going to play the Los Angeles Chargers and face their defense, are the most dangerous guys that they have. Those are the two guys that you say we have to game plan against. So against Bosa, you've got to have a back over there or the tight end on on every snap. Derwin James, where is he? Where is he? Because he makes my quarterback sweat when I look at him. And so if you don't have those two guys out there and, and Andrew Catalan, who's my play by play guy really picked it up. Well, he goes, about the third quarter he goes, you know, Davis mills, the quarterback for the Houston Texans keeps throwing to the tight ends because they're out in routes and they wouldn't have been out in routes because they would have had to block Mosa, and then they would have been covered by Derwin James. So those two guys really just, I think, changed the game. And unfortunately for the Chargers, that hiccup may cost them a chance to get in the playoffs because they played Denver. And I believe they played Las Vegas the very last game of the year. And those are, those are tough opponents right there, right now.
0: I don't think people realize what, go, you know, when you game plan and the first time this ever happened to me was back in 87, I think 87, 88, when we were playing the Chicago bears and I'm just thinking, we we just completely changed pass protect. everything was a slide protection, max protect, get the ball out. What, and it, it limits your options offensively. You know, you know, I don't think people really realize what, I mean, before you put a play in, you go through every possible blitz situation and pass protection. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I just uh, – I don't think people realize you have to have a tight end on certain guys on that side of the field or a back chipping on the backside and what it can do to handcuff an offense.
1: And that that bear defense was so unique. You know, what the system that they ran, but then the players that they had running it. And, and I remember when we were getting ready to play – I was in Green Bay and we were going to play them when they were the, you know, 85 Bears, when they were the Super Bowl Bears. And at that time, you know – if we had an extensive playbook, we might have had sixty plays going into a game, as opposed to what they have, three hundred now. We whittled it down to about twelve plays, <laughs> and and I remember talking to one of the coaches years later. He said, "You know, we went in to play them with twelve plays, but we only thought about four of them were going to work."
0: <laughs> it's just you had. A, I mean, you got to count for pass rate. But oh, first man. of all, they had more more people than you could block, and then yeah. you couldn't handle Richard Dent. Now, Richard Dent, he. Uh, Oh, who was the defensive lineman in New England? Richard Seymour. Very similar yep. body. You looked at them in the locker room, and they were kind of like – they weren't these ripped up 3 to 5% body fat guys. They looked a little – they were athletes, though, in their hands yep. and their quickness. And they couldn't – you couldn't block those guys. I mean, offensive linemen were – you know, offensive linemen back then were big guys that were just heavy. And we we couldn't block them. I, I just – who was the toughest DB you went up against? Do you remember –
1: well, and it's, and it's funny because in your mind, you don't want to admit that anybody's ever tough. Yeah. So you kind of reserve that question. And, and there have been a couple. Um, within my division, and that was Chicago, Detroit, Tampa at the time, and the Minnesota Vikings, there wasn't a guy that I felt like could stop me. And, and I remember Buddy Ryan later saying, who was the defensive coordinator for Chicago, saying, we always doubled him. And that was the biggest compliment we could pay to him. And, and what I found at the time was, you usually had one pretty good corner and one guy that you catch all your passes against. And the only team that I remember that you couldn't do that against were the LA Raiders. They had Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes. And those two guys it was before you had the term shutdown or lockdown corner. You just knew that after you played against them and you saw your friends after the game and they wondered why you didn't catch any passes, <laughs> you, know, you go ask those guys why I didn't catch it. I couldn't get open. But they, they right. were probably the toughest combination. Now, luckily, I didn't have to play against them a lot. Uh, but if you want to go just tough, Gary Fensick and Doug Plank, the safeties for the Bears – um i remember i had a coach luke carpenter he said you better get one of those chin straps that have the double buckles on them we're playing these guys
0: <laughs> i was fortunate enough to play with some of those guys on the bears yeah. i remember those defenses i had to go against them every day but you didn't have too many strokes you had 3200 yard receiving games and i guess Devonte adams just moved into second with 30 uh have you had a chance to watch him play a little bit so at the uh whatever year he came out in the draft,
1: I was the Packers player who was sent to the draft to make that announcement. So I got to announce Devontae Adams as the Packers second round pick from Fresno state. And, uh, so I kind of, you know, obviously I've been following him ever since. And then I get picked again to do it in Nashville and it's Elton Jenkins. They're all pro left guard. So the Packers should be using me every year to make a selection. Uh, but Devontae Adams is terrific. And one of the things that he did early in his career is he took his conditioning to another level. He is not a 4'3 guy in the 40. If he runs four-five, that's maybe what he runs. But his quickness – but, Doug, he's as fast in play number one as he is in play number 80. And that's that game stamina that he has is just – Other guys can't keep up with it, playing defense against him, because he's constantly going hard and going fast.
0: I I kind of shook my head the other day when uh, a premier back, I forget who it was, broke about a 25-yard run, and he goes right to the sideline and sits down for two. (laughs) I'm like, Herschel Herschel Walker carried the ball 35 times a game. (laughs) That's how you rush for 2,000. Eric Dickerson back in the – those guys would – yeah. You know, so, so conditions are a different part of the, although they do go, you know, lightning fast speed, well, they throw the ball so much more too, because of that. I mean, you're talking your numbers would have been through the roof. The, they run a lot ahead. more plays than we did in the course of a game too. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, it's part of where, think about two minute offense, right? The biggest thing in a two minute offense was get that first, first down at a fast pace and all of a sudden, the defensive line's getting a little tired. All of a sudden, the pass rush disappears. All of a sudden, so that's where conditions it's a, become. It's a good about part.
1: that fourth or fifth play, and those defensive linemen are looking to the sideline and wondering if I can get off the field before the next play is snapped.
0: <laughs> and that, I, that is why. And and a lot of people don't. You know, they all say, "Oh, they play prevent coverage in a two-minute situation." Blah blah blah. What happens if you can keep those guys on the field? They're not used to going every snap like the old days.
1: Well, see, I, was, I was always amazed with quarterbacks when they would have a scramble and then a 20-yard run and then they've got to jog back as fast as they can to get back in the huddle to call the next play and and guys were never out of breath i wonder if you if you you'd call a play you go 43x snap and then all of a sudden you're
0: going <laughs> I i've had a few i've had a few of those moments <laughs> i've had a few of those mo- i really prided myself on conditioning i ran hard all the time and and, and ran off the field to, to stay in shape but i do remember I had an elbow surgery and I was out for six weeks, seven weeks. And I came back and I was kind of testing it. And I went in and say the second quarter of a game, it was in, up in Toronto and I had a really nice drive, but in the middle of the drive, I took off on a 20 yard run. And I had never felt so tired in a game in my life. <laughs> and I was like, I got to get my cardio back. And, and the guys all reminded me on Monday about that, that statement.
1: Well, you always, you come to mind a lot to me when I'm doing the game. And I see a quarterback sneak because I'm not sure you know how we tell stories and we tell stories and they don't have to be factual to be good, but you ran a quarterback sneak in Qualcomm stadium. It might've even been called Jack Murphy at the time. I can't remember the name. And you went all the way around the left tackle and ran for about nine yards on the quarterback sneak. And I'm going, you know, you watch guys now who can't get half a yard, You got to almost a a half a step back and then pick your hole. And, and I almost, I had it last week, a couple of times, and I almost said that's what Doug Flutie used to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We did a thing in, in, up in Canada, where we go spread stat. We'd stack the, you know, the wide receiver screens, they, they throw now the smoke screens. We'd line up in that set and spread everyone out. If they leave a safety in the middle of the field, there is an open gap somewhere. It might be outside. So I was always used to looking for that. And if they, if they cover all the gaps, bring guys down, we'd throw the wide receiver screen. we do a bunch of different stuff off it. But I was used to looking for it. And I, I cringe when I watch some quarterback sneaks. Like, they, they, there's no one, no one has contained. No one's on the edge on that side. Be, Tom Brady, a lot of times in their short yardage offense, they'll call a running play. And if there's a gap open, he just checks the quarterback sneak, takes it, and gets the first down and move on. And a lot of guys just bury their head and and push forward. It's actually – there is some finesse to a quarterback sneak.
1: Because it used to be you would tell the quarterback to goose the center, you know, to give a little little jerk, and then he would know to snap the ball, and the the two of you are ready to go, and then the guards would then see the ball had been snapped, and they'd move. So it wasn't the the snap count and on the – Three or on four or on one. It was just a little bit of movement. Like you say, you saw the
0: opening. Yeah, my, my uh, I don't know. I, 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 I've always felt this way that a lot of times there's overcoaching in, in situations and that, that everything, sometimes you just look at a situation and be an athlete and figure it out. The other guy I talked, you know, with our Buffalo connections uh, was, was Josh Allen. I talked about a little earlier on my monologue. Uh, he's one of these guys that does five yard quarterback sneaks. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just puts this. He, he had a great run on a crucial fourth down against the Patriots this week. Uh, split two defenders on a naked bootleg. Uh, what are your what's your take on Josh? You, you know, when I watch him play, the
1: thing I want for the Buffalo Bills is I want some clean runs for their running backs, and I don't want Josh to be the leading ball carrier in the for the season, for for one game here and there. It's okay, but I don't want the, the end of the season to come and for Josh Allen to have run for 600 yards and his top running back rush for 500 because that's just too many extra hits. And it's, it's a huge burden, I think, during the course of the game to take those hits and still be as accurate a passer as you need to be. But watching him play, he is still that high school player that's better than everybody else on the field. And you can kind of see it and and you you don't want to have to always prove that physically. But like you say, he sidestepped a couple of guys and there are some other quarterbacks. It was funny. I had the uh, Chargers and the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence made the comment about Josh Allen being really big. And I went, wait a minute, you're six (laughs) five. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because they, I think we see Josh Allen and you see a Superman, you see that S on his chest because the physical nature he's taken over from what Cam Newton was seven or eight years ago, the most physical quarterback in the league. And he has gone from throwing nothing but fastballs to having some finesse on all his passes. And I think that's, that's his biggest improvement right there because when you're throwing a fastball, if you're a little bit off target that ball is going to be hard to catch on the other end and he's gone from everything at 105 miles an hour to now 95 miles an hour so that's a huge improvement for him
0: right i love watching josh play and i like watching the I th- they got back on track this week i'm hoping i love the buffalo community i've got i went up to a game a couple of years ago and just it was amazing the reception so kind of rooting for them to to make a good run at it. the buffalo fans deserve it so i'm going to be out of are you gonna be you'll be out around super bowl right it's out on the west yeah Coast. i'll be
1: out i'm in san diego so i'll drive up there and a uh, couple things
0: here and there so it'll be well i might i might i might drag you out to catch a couple of passes in my annual flag football game okay. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. You know me. I'm a I'm a kid at heart. I might I'll make I got, I made Andre Reid do it a couple of times. So you know I played in a a,
1: uh, a flag football game oh about seven or eight years ago with Brett Farm. Mm. He threw me a fastball, and and I went to him after the play was over. I said, "I'm 55. You got to remember that. You got to take a little
0: bit <laughs> off of it." <laughs> That's the what I tell you what, and, and my arm—I I never had a big arm or anything, but my arm feels about as good as it did when I was playing. And these guys, their arm—that's why Brady can play till he's eighty because he's just playing with his arm in his head. And I said, you know he and actually last week he had like two first down runs that were like eight to ten yards. But they they take so long though. Oh, it's <laughs> oh it pains me. I, 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 I played one season with Tom. And he works his workout routine in the weight room and everything else he works so hard at his footwork and trying to get faster and it' just pains me to watch him run sometimes
1: you know if it, like you said, if you were coaching him and, and you looked at him and said, "Because he has heavy feet, mm-hmm. you know there are some guys who are really light on their feet, but he has turned it into an art form, being able to throw the ball, being in position to throw the ball and that's what it's all about just getting ready to throw and everybody's going to do it a little bit differently. You know, we talked about Josh Allen, you talk about Aaron rodgers guys who can throw the ball from different platforms and different arm angles. And uh, you know, there, there's nothing about it that is wrong if you complete the pass.
0: See, I needed to use My outfit scoring. <laughs> <and> outfit. <laughs> I tried so hard. You know, I would always try so hard on Monday through Saturday to, please my offensive coordinator. And then on game day, just do what I got to do to get it done. And there's so many guys out there now doing it that way. I love how offenses have opened up, spread out, using their quarterback as a runner. So uh, I really enjoy watching the NFL game day. James, thanks so much for joining me. It's so much fun to reconnect and and talk football a little bit and fun. Uh, All the best to you. I hope you have a great holiday season and and New Year's.
1: Same to you. I'd love to be on the other end of one of those pass-catching duels with you.
0: We will do it. We will do it. I'll let you know. I want to thank James Lawton for joining me and talking. James and I, like I said, have a history together, and it's a lot of fun to to reconnect with James and talk a little NFL. But now I want to welcome back Chris Tyler. Chris, uh, we've got some Twitter questions out there that uh, we'll get to. Welcome back to the show. I know you're on paternity leave. How's the first of all, how's
2: the baby? Baby's great, man. Like she's uh, she's smiling more than she cries and she sleeps as much as her dad. So it's it's going really well so far. I Definitely can't complain. Plus, she's she's cute as anything, man. I, I, I love it. Uh you gotta. I think the number one priority is that they sleep at night. So that's a that's a bonus for you. Way to Absolutely.
0: Go. Um, you had a chance to watch Tom Brady too for the first time live. You got to, to a Brady yeah, game. Yeah,
2: he came down to Carolina to play the Panthers. Obviously, it wasn't a a very full Tampa Bay squad. Obviously, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette all out. Brady didn't have a whole lot of weapons. But going into the game, I was obviously very excited to see him as a Patriots fan. I just I wanted to see Brady for a lot of. A long time and just never had the opportunity to. But going into the game, all I wanted to see was at least one Tom Brady passing touchdown. And I got it, so I'm happy. It was was great. It was great to see.
0: I'll tell you, this is a good thing Antonio Brown came back yeah. this week because he was the only thing Tom had, and Antonio stepped up for him. I'm going to pull the Brady card and say that uh, I got to watch him from the sideline, so I, I got <laughs> yeah, that's, to go That's much so better. Off the field. That
2: we we were legitimately bad. in the uh, the top row of the stadium, the very, very top <laughs> row. There was no one behind us. Because we <laughs> but were you were me. there. But I was there. But you it were counts. there. I can tell my yes. kid my grandkids potentially one day Uh, that i saw tom brady live like it's like saying you saw jordan essentially that's that's what it is that's what it's like absolutely so i'm right i used to warm
0: guy that's i i i used to warm tom up and he would always throw like four or five balls just before going back out on the field oh my the last throw was like everything he had laser nolan ryan 108 mile an hour (laughs) fastball (laughs) And I was like, I started wearing gloves on the sideline just to take those five throws. Every time he'd go out, he'd throw like four or five throws and run out. And uh, Tommy would just, you know, the adrenaline rushing and all that and going back out on the field, he would turn it loose. All right, let's get over to the
2: Twitter questions, find out what's going on out there in Twitter. All righty. The first Twitter question we have is, who are your top QBs in the NFL not named Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? There actually are other guys. (laughs) There's other guys that play the game. I think I
0: mentioned one of them, and that's Patrick Mahomes already. Patrick, uh, the adjustment that he has made to be able to – number one, I love him because he can make throws like in a middle infielder. He, he throws the ball from any arm angle, on the wrong foot, off the opposite side, whatever it is. Whatever the situation dictates, he can make the throw. I love – talked about this before, how he can beat blitz by letting him just – give ground and let the blitz come to him and by that extra half second, drifting away and still make throws up the field. Um, That's why he's so dangerous. And because because of that ability, teams have stopped blitzing him, backed off and are testing his patience. And he's learned to adjust to that now. And uh, they're off and running again in Kansas City. Uh, Justin Herbert playing great right now. I I don't see him a lot. You know what, James, uh, being on air, we talk about it a little bit with James, but uh, the other guy that I love, is Josh Allen. And I, I mentioned Josh earlier that when he is on, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch him run with the ball because he runs tough and he f- makes any throw down the field. Um, there's, there's been some inconsistency, and he was inconsistent last year in the playoffs, so there's some question marks there. But when he plays the way he did against New England, um, you know he's, he's one of the best. And the, the, the guy that's kind of a big question mark is Dak. And I think that had to do – Dak Prescott, I mean, the first half of the season looked like an MVP, uh, had a calf strain, struggled with that, hasn't played well since, and then finally got it back this week. Maybe he's finally 100%. Maybe he can rest the calf. I don't, maybe he's rested enough and he's back to 100%. But there's, there's a big difference in his game too. He's so, so uh, volatile. But I I think out of those guys, the guys I love are Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes.
2: Yeah, the league's definitely uh, in a good position with that young QB brigade that's uh, slowly overtaking. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch over the next 10, 15 years, a lot of these younger guys. So uh, league's definitely in good hands. Next Twitter question. Officiating is inconsistent weekly across different games. A small crew has to watch 22 players at a time. Isn't it about time for the NFL to consider making officials a full-time role? Yeah, I think it needs to be a full time job. There's no doubt about it that, um, you know,
0: and if that means you pay them more because they're spending the week at it and all that, so what? There is so much money involved in the NFL from a business model standpoint, from a gambling standpoint, which we never used to be able to talk about. But now it's just common practice, all the online stuff and everything everyone's doing that um, the safety net has always been video replay, but there's certain things you just can't replay you know uh, the CFL messed with calling interference calls by video replay and being able to challenge that and or they they actually do it and i, I don't like it because you can call interference and not, uh, you can call interference on any these guys the hand fighting that goes on now while the ball's in the air is crazy to me i know they say that the rules have changed for the passing game and i think the majority of that is about the hitting of the quarterback that was the thing i, I kind of went on a rant last week about was you, you, there's a difference between smacking the quarterback in the head and, and actually just kind of brushing his face mask as you're trying to deflect a pass or something. Um, there's just a fine line where I think judgment has to come into play, but as far as the, the officials should be a full-time job, it should be something that they're critiqued on. I mean, they are critiqued weekly, but sit down watch film together all week long and make it like you're, it's, it's, it's your career. And they, they would need to be paid that way. So that's a move that, With all the money, that the the salaries in the NFL and all the money at stake, um, I believe it's important.
2: Yeah, it seems like a strange thing for the NFL to skimp out on because if you've got better referees, you're going to have a better product. If you don't have to go to replay as much or you're not getting as as many bad calls, the product is going to be better. It's going to be more watchable. So it doesn't make sense to me that they're not chilling out that extra money for that. But,
0: you know, back in our day, we got a lot of bad calls. There was no replay. And you just... It, the the bad call was over and done and you move forward and you just went, you accepted whatever the call was. And, you know, I've had some bad calls that, that cost you a game in the last seconds or, or, or maybe a couple of things that have gone my way, but you kind of, it was much more acceptable that, you know, there were some bad calls and you went, but now because of all the cameras we have on the field, everything is um, analyzed and and just sliced up from every angle. And, you know, it was a good or a bad call. And with that technology at hand, we got to have the right call all the time. And I, I know there's things you can't go back and, and look. You know, holding is subjective. Uh, interference is very subjective now. So there's, there's some things out there that, that and, you know, they think if it didn't influence
2: the play, they just let it go. Yep, that's it. Next Twitter question. Who do you root for when the Patriots and the Bills play, two of your former teams? The Chargers. <laughs> I don't, you know, when I, when I watch the
0: Bills and Pats play, you know what I end up doing? It's the same. It's the same when I have uh, buddies that are playing as I've gotten older and, and when you've played in the league, you wind up rooting for individuals more than the team. You just want the guys that, you know, are good guys and are friends of yours or whatever that. You want them to have a great game. You want them to have a nice career. You don't want them to have to deal with the criticism on Monday. You're hoping this guy, yeah, just have a good game. You know, Ian booked the other night for me. I wanted Ian to go out and just play well. You know, even if he doesn't win the game, give a good showing for yourself, all that kind of stuff. That's more the mentality of a guy that's played football. Uh when I watch Buffalo, New England, I'm rooting for offense. I, I really I love Mac Jones. I love Josh Allen. Uh I spent I, don't know, I actually spent more time with the Patriots than I did Buffalo, but my good years were in Buffalo. So it's hard. What I want is one of those teams to go to a Super Bowl so I can be relevant and be around it and be around the guys. Say, yeah, I was a Bill. Yeah, here we go. We're going to the Super Bowl. I was a Patriot. Yeah, go, Tom, go. But no, Tom's now in Tampa, but it's go, Mac, go. So anyway, that's kind of my mindset and thinking is it, I, I refer to it and I, I was playing in Buffalo. And we were playing the Pats in Buffalo, and all my high school buddies came up to the game, all of them. You know, we are—we've been friends forever. We still are. They would make at least one game every year that I played, whether it was in Canada, wherever. And they come up, and all the guys are Doug Flutie. You know, dressed in Bill's gear, going to the game, Baba, Even though they're Patriots fans, this week, you know, it's all about Doug, right? Now, one of the guys, head to toe, Patriots gear, cheering for the Patriots from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And we have never let him live it down. And the, the, the phrase we always use is you're just rooting for the laundry. You're rooting for whoever happens to be wearing a patriot. The the guys change year in, year out. Every five to ten years, it's a complete turnover. That's all different guys. You're just rooting for the laundry. Root for the guys you know. Anyway, that that's from a player standpoint.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. But there's no chance that I'm ever gonna root for players over over teams. It's just something innate, ingrained in our in our brains that if we see that certain logo or those certain colors, no regardless doubt. of what happens. I'm that way. <laughs> I'm that way. I'm that way when it comes to the Red
0: Sox. Right. Okay. For, it does, yeah. I am a diehard Red Sox fan and, and they're, you know, the turnover every year, all the in fact before we started our podcast today, I'm watching. Um, it must be on MLB network. I'm watching the 04 game four against the Yankees. Red Sox are down three <laughs> yes. games to uh, none. they had the big comeback in the ninth. And and go on to win it and sweep the Yankees and Ford. So I saw it was on. I left it on. I'm
2: watching the Reds. I'm a Red Sox junkie. Yep, makes sense. Uh, Next question: Are you excited about the return of the USFL in the spring? Very. What kind of hat am I wearing? The New Jersey Generals. New Jersey Generals hat. Uh, It just
0: yeah. I'm very excited for that. Um, I know that all the guys, all the coaches, all that stuff is gone. The USFL lasted three years back in the early to mid '80s. Um, I played with Herschel Walker. Donald Trump was our owner. Uh, Played with a bunch of NFL pro bowlers in that league at the time. Guys like Steve Young, Jim Kelly, uh, Herschel Walker, I mentioned. Maurice Carthon, at fullback. Kent Hall, center perennial pro bowler with the Buffalo Bills. You name it. These guys were all Reggie White. Um, It was an amazing league that uh, we had 15 guys from the USFL. The year after the USFL folded, 15 USFL players played in the NFL pro bowl the next year. There was that kind of talent. In it. So, yes, it's very exciting. I think America loves football. And the, the, the proof of this is they actually watch spring games of college football where they go out. It's not even a real scrimmage. They don't hit. They don't play special teams. They do a little bit of hitting and the coaches just want the thing over with. So nobody gets hurt. And they'll put 50,000 people in the stands, 30,000 people in Alabama, or where Florida, all the and they televise these things. So people love football. You go in the spring. There's no football going on right now. They love it. And hopefully um, there's somewhat of an attachment to your area team. That's the biggest the biggest problem for upstart franchises, for upstart leagues is to gain some fan loyalty to as we were just talking about the laundry the, the, whoever's oh, yeah. wearing the colors of new jersey or pittsburgh or whoever it is jacksonville was one of the teams back then whoever is wearing their stuff you, you got to get that attachment right away and that's the tough part that you got to build that loyalty early
2: that's it and the final question twitter question for this week what is your favorite sport other than football i think we might have touched on this before
0: well, you know, it's – basketball was my number one. Basket, I thought I was a basketball player. I had Division two opportunities and, and maybe some D1 talk, but my scho- my D1 scholarship came in football, so football kind of chose me, but I loved basketball. Of course, at, at 100 years old now, my knees are shot, my back shot, and I can't really <laughs> play much. So what I've done is I've gone to ho- – hockey's so much fun right now. It's new again to me, and uh, I do – I, I don't know that I love golf. I can't, I can't do the golf. I play a little bit of golf. I enjoy it, but I can't be out there for more than a couple of <laughs> hours. Uh, the surfing, the surfing thing's been fun too. So I don't know. I try everything new right now. My new excitement and fetish is hockey. What about huh? to watch? Yeah. To watch. So I t- Playoff hockey. Playoff oh my gosh. Ho- yeah. Come playoff, oh yeah. my gosh. Come playoff time in hockey. These guys sell out with, with some amazing, and, and you get a little bit of this in soccer, but in order to get a scoring opportunity, like 10 things had to happen. Somebody dug the puck out of a corner, stole, broke up a play defensively, went into the corner, got the crap kicked out of him, got it up the board. Somebody made a pass. Somebody stick handle made three guys miss, a phenomenal pass, and it just off the tip of the blade and goes to the corner. And no, I mean – they have to work so hard just to get a chance to get a legitimate shot. Then they get the perfect play and the goaltender makes a ridiculous save. So the amount of effort that goes into, especially come playoff time, because that one little lapse, that one little uh, being lazy, getting back or or going after a puck or a 50, 50 puck or something in the corner, that one little hesitate, that can cost them their playoff life and they're gone. So come playoff time, the intensity just, goes to a whole nother level and i just admire how hard these i'll go out and skate hard for 30 seconds and i'm (laughs) done and that's i mean these guys the amount of effort you you forget you forget that they're on skates the things they're doing you know it's like they look like they're playing basketball the way they move in right but no they're on skates so anyway, uh, that's kind of been my fun, fun
2: sport to watch. Perfect, it's, it's ballistic playoff hockey. I, lo- I love it as well. But uh, yeah, that's it for this week. <laughs> I
0: love the old days. I love the old days of guys just getting hammered into the bench and slammed through the boards. And you know, some of the rules have been a little. But hockey is the one sport, right? In football, we talk about you can't hit the guy in the head. You can't head-to-head collision, helmet-to-helmet collision, uh, touch the quarterback's face mask. Hockey. They just rip the helmets off and punch each other in the face and it still goes.
2: Oh, man. They're crazy.
0: Those hockey players are crazy. Yeah, we had uh, at Boston College, a great hockey program at Boston College. Uh, they play for national championships all the time and they're always in the mix. Um, our four, the four freshmen, <laughs> this, this is college hockey players in a nutshell. All four freshman hockey players that came in my year at Boston College all flunked out in the first semester. <laughs> they used to... They used to line the pucks up in the hallway and open the window at the end of the hallway and take slap shots out the window and wind up busting glass all over and beat up the rate. It's just, that's the hockey player mentality. It's just what it is.
2: Yep. For sure.
0: And just for everyone out there, remember you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple Pandora and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tom Kress. The associate producers are Denny Gallagher and Cliff Augustin. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Thanks again for listening to the Flutie Flakes cast and join us again next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.